With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. All right, everyone, this is a jam-packed, I know I said it yesterday, on Saturday's edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast, and this is Chris McPherson, in case you didn't realize that. But nonetheless, though, the front seven took to the field today in Indianapolis. We have a lot to recap here. We're going to have Draft Buzz with Tony Pauline. He's going to hang with us for most of the show. We have pick six, six players we're most excited to see tomorrow. The final day of drills here in Indianapolis. Sad because it's our final day in town. So again, the backline players, the defensive backs, are on the field on Monday. Our unofficial visit, Colin Saunders from Western Illinois, was a star at the Senior Bowl. We'll discuss his performance. And lots and lots and lots of your questions. Absolutely love it that you guys sent a lot of questions for us to answer. We're going to get through all of them. But let's kick things off with Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com in our Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. In my hasty introduction there, I didn't even have a chance to say hi to Fran Duffy. So, Fran, w- welcome aboard. As I pass the microphone across the room here in our hotel room uh, at the Westin in Indy. Uh, I'm great, Chris. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. And we also have Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com at Tony Pauline on Twitter. Tony, ruffling some feathers, sending some shockwaves through the NFL with your bold report earlier today. Uh, give you kudos for uh, breaking the news here, but uh, you know we've talked a lot about Kyler Murray and whether or not he's going to go to number one to the Arizona Cardinals. Steve Keim, the general manager of the Cardinals, earlier this week here at the Combine, left the door open saying that uh, Josh Rosen, the current quarterback, is the quarterback for now. And apparently, Tony, you've unearthed that uh, it doesn't look like Rosen will be the quarterback there a whole lot longer. I didn't go that far. You know, I, I walk around Indianapolis and I expect to get punched in the face at any moment from uh, some of these NFL guys. <laughs> but no, what, what happened was us. Like, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury told people that uh, Kyler Murray is a lock for them to take with the number one pick. Now, you know, a lot of guys say things. You know, for whatever reasons, you look at uh, it shouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, why would it surprise anybody? You look at Kyle, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's prior comments, his affection for Kyler Murray, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it, it makes total sense. Now, I also said if you read the report, because I, I linked the re- uh, report to the tweet, I also said, you know, it remains to be seen whether whether or not Cliff Kingsbury is going to have the final word on this, going to have the final say on this. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Listen, we're here in Indianapolis. It's free agency. There's all kinds of rumors and word floating around. I heard yesterday that uh, the Raiders are ready to package a bunch of picks to move up to get Kyler Murray. I had said in the lead up to the combine, I thought that John Gruden would be a guy who'd love to take Kyler Murray because, you know, he would either make his career or he's already won a Super Bowl, but he'd look like a great genius if he took Murray and it worked out for him, or he'd be back in the uh, TV uh, studio real soon. Um, shouldn't surprise anybody. The thing with the whole Murray to Arizona thing is, you told me a week ago this was going to happen. I would have told you you're nuts. I said it multiple times on radio interviews. But being here and listening to people who are in the know and who hang out with people in the know, 
you know, there's too much smoke for, for there not to be a fire. If, if we asked you on yesterday's podcast, you would have thought that was ludicrous. I would have. Yeah, so. Well, what I thought was ludicrous was the fact that people were getting crazed over Kyler Murray uh, being the first pick of the draft simply because he measured in at over five foot ten. He has not thrown a single pass. And personally, that's the way I feel. That's the way I approach it from a football point of view. But, you know, I mean, uh, you look at where the Eagles were four or five years ago. You look at where the Eagles are now because they're having people who are making good decisions are in in the right positions. You know, sometimes that doesn't always happen in the NFL. You know, the reason the Eagles won the Super Bowl was the MVP performance of Nick Foles. And we'll get to our second item here, Uh, Eagles-related. Les Bowen from the Daily News reporting that the Jacksonville Jaguars, really no surprise, are expected to sign quarterback Nick Foles at the start of free agency on March 13th. Uh, Tony, one thing I just want to ask you here is, obviously great news that he's not going to be in the NFC East or the NFC, but does that mean that Washington and the New York Giants, that they're going to remain heavy in the draft market for a quarterback? Well, a couple things. I'll disagree with you. The reason the Eagles won the Super Bowl, not only because of Nick Foles, because of the organization, part, the coaching, the coaching the Doug Peterson and everything else. So you, you know, A lot of people have good quarterbacks that they can't develop, so uh, can't leave that out of the equation. I still think the New York Giants are going to at least kick the tires around with Nick Foles. Will you know what's going to? Will they be in the market uh, draft market for a quarterback? I reported yesterday that the Washington Redskins are bas- are openly telling people that if Josh Rosen hits the open market, they will be in there to try and trade for Josh Rosen. So that may take them out of the ne- uh, out of uh, out of the necessity to draft a quarterback if that happens. Um, if you're I, if you're an Eagles fan, are you where are you on the idea that Josh Rosen gets traded into division? Are you scared? Are you okay with that? Like what if you're if you're, for the Eagles fans that are listening, where where should their heads be on that potential move? I wouldn't worry about it for this reason. Number one, I've always liked Rosen on the field. Yep, There's sure. no doubt about no it. Question. I think he's a great passer. Makes good decisions. In the lead-up to last year's draft, I said there were two Josh Rosens. There was the guy who was on the field, and there was the guy who's off the field. And the -the off-the-field personality just rubbed people the wrong way. And I was told last night that that's happening in Arizona. So it's not not rubbing some people in Arizona the wrong way as he was rubbing some people at UCLA the wrong way. So the question is then, you go to Washington— you know, is that going to happen in Washington? You've got to look at the stability of the organization. You've got to look at the leadership in the organization. At face value, to answer your question, I would say not really. I mean, it really it really wouldn't concern me. It wouldn't concern me if I'm an Eagles fan that's going anywhere. I mean, I'd be concerned about the Eagles, and they're doing fine. All right, let's get into what took place on the field here at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, and we have to start with the potential if it's not going to be Kyler Murray, it could be Quentin Williams, the number one overall pick. If not number one, certainly going to be one of the first few picks after that uh, with a historic performance in terms of the 40-yard dash today. Uh, your guys' thoughts on the job that Quentin Williams from Alabama did on the field today? I thought it was terrific. I mean, athletic, you know, we know he's a great player. I thought athletically, you know, he stood out as well. Uh, he was quick, uh, decent 40 time, outstanding 10 time. Uh, position drills, I thought he moved well. He seemed to be slipping a lot. I don't know if he was just trying to overguess 
what was going to come next and which direction he was going to be sent into. I don't know if he was just trying too hard. But, you know, you know, he's a good player, and now we know he's a good athlete. The, what stood out to me most about him in position drills was just how quickly he was able to transition in and out of cuts. I mean, especially those initial moves when, you know, those guys are lying flat on their stomachs or flat on their back, and they've got to get up quickly. Uh, you know, once they get on their two feet, then transition. I mean, he showed that snap, that twitch to be able to instantly, uh, you know, execute an athletic move. I was really, really impressed with uh, Quinn and Williams in the athletic workout as well, obviously, as in the position drills. Uh, one player, obviously, Tony, that, that kind of stole the show as well, pass rusher Montez Sweat. And we'll, we'll give you some love here. This was something that you predicted on yesterday's show that Montez Sweat would uh, tear up athletic testing. I did. That means I want to raise. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was just, you know, people talk about the 40 time, you know, of, of 441, right? He also had a 10 time of 155. He also had a 36 inch vertical jump. He also had a 10 5 broad jump and a seven flat three cone. And we talked about the bench press. We had 21, uh, 21 reps on the bench press, and his arms are 35 and three quarters inches long. So it was not, it was a lot more. As opposed to, say, like DK Metcalf yesterday, where everyone was going crazy over his 40 time. But when you looked at his short shuttle and his three cone, they were horrendous. You know, it was it was a it was a tremendous overall workout for sweat. That's that's for sure. The question is, is and he was 260 pounds. Is that his playing weight? How's he going to hold up against the run Uh, Are the off the field issues from the way ago going to bother people? I think, uh, you know, it's basically Sweat is doing what he has to do. Excellent senior year, followed by a great combine workout, moving towards the draft. You called it on Sweat. You also called it on John Kaminsky. Small school standout, laying up here in Indianapolis, Tony. You know, he was very fast. Now, the thing about Kaminsky is, I think with Kaminsky, it was kind of expected. Uh, Sweat was expected to run well, but he really knocked out of the park. I'll repeat what we said, what we talked about, about Kaminsky during the Senior Bowl. He's known as a great uh, athlete. He's known as a guy who's going to put up great testing numbers. Three sacks last year, which has people concerned. Yeah, and you also called it on uh, on Max Crosby, I believe, because uh, Max Crosby was a guy that you know, not a lot of people know about. Coming from a smaller school, Eastern Michigan, uh, 6'5", came in at 255. His shuttles were yeah. outstanding, and for a guy that big uh, to move the way he did, his other numbers were above average across the board, certainly nothing to, to stick your nose up to, but his shuttles were outstanding. What were your thoughts on Crosby, not just in the athletic testing, but in the position drills as well? And, you know, he shows that on film. I mean, he's not a guy who just pins his ears back and makes plays up the field. He's good laterally. He gets out in space, and that's what those shuttle numbers, you know, are indicative of, the ability to quickly change direction and go from you know moving your le- from your left to your right and moving from uh, in a straight line to your left to right and getting out I- into space and make plays and and that's what he does. I think he solidified himself as a second day selection. A player who I really did not know anything about coming into the combine, Central Florida's Tristan Hill, in my mind, introduced himself to everyone today as someone who needs to be noticed in this draft process. Well. You would have known about him if you read Draft Analyst uh, last June because I said that he was the best uh, pro prospect to come, come from Central Florida, and I actually gave him a fourth-round grade. Now, his testing numbers were not, out, or not all that great, but when you watched him during drills, he was fantastic. I mean, he was fluid. He moved around the field like a big tight end, uh, easily changed direction, 
showed great balance, showed great body control. I, I think he's going to be a superb three-technique tackle at the next level. Yeah, the, the 40 was okay. The 10-yard the split was okay. The three-cone was okay. The short shuttle was outstanding. The vert was outstanding. And the broad was pretty good as well. So kind of a mixed bag. I agree, though, in the, per, in the position drills. I mean, he, he was awesome. He was one of the guys, honestly, outside of the big names, Tony, you know, Quinton Williams and, uh, you know, Montez Sweat and Nick Bosa and, and all, the, all the big names, Brian Burns. Those guys all looked great. Tristan Hill was the one who looked the smoothest in and out of bags. Uh, I thought he did a really good job in the position workout. Let's get to another guy, a pass rusher from the Big Ten. Chase Winovich had a really, really good day. I know the shuttle times were very, very good. Uh, this was a guy that had, was very productive over the course of his career with the Wolverines, and he showed up here today in his athletic testing. Yeah, and that was the question about him was, you know, we know he's a good football player. We know he plays lights out. Uh, and he, he finds ways to make plays. Uh, the question about him was, you know, what kind of an athlete he is. And I'm getting jammed up now because I'm just look, trying to see. Coming into the season, just to give you an idea, coming into the season, he was projected uh, as a guy who was going to run. Give me a second here. He was a 4.98 estimated 40-time guy. Okay, a 4.98. That's what they estimated at. And what did he run today? He ran uh, a four five nine. So he was almost a half. He was four tenths of a second faster than what they estimated. So, again, you know, you're you're basically melding the fact that you got a great football player who you know is a good athlete. You could do a lot of things with him. Uh, any concern with the injuries that he's had? Well, the injuries were late, and some of those injuries he played through, and they're not really debilitating. It was, what, an ankle? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously the ankle didn't bother him today. I mean, you look at that uh, three-cone time. Six nine four. So uh, obviously that that's not an issue. So next up here, uh, Porter Gustin. Okay, yeah. we're kind of talking about with the defensive lineman. Uh, he did work out with with the linebackers. Uh, Fran, in your combine preview, you kind of detailed how he has an interesting uh, diet nutrition aspect where he likes to put everything in a blender. I, I'm not just talking about your typical fruit smoothies. I mean, he puts full on meals in there for quick absorption. Uh, very, very interesting cap, but I uh, had a nice performance here in Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at Porter Gustin, this was a guy that, you know, I, I had pretty good expectations for. I know he was on uh, Bruce Feldman's freak list coming into the year, and that's where I had first read about, uh, you know, his training regimen and his diet and things like that. I mean, he puts – like I say, I mean, he puts the entire fridge into that into that smoothie machine. But uh, you know, four under four seven in the forty, the jumps were pretty good as well for a guy who's six four and a half, two hundred fifty five pounds. Tony, uh, what did you think of Gustin with what you saw? Yeah, again, and I go back to what uh, the, the the junior timing day numbers were: six four and a half, two hundred sixty five pounds. So he's ten pounds lighter. He was estimated to run a four eight eight. He runs two tenths faster. Uh, I just want to see him put it together on the field more. I mean, the, the testing numbers are good. People are going to ask, you know, why, you know, where is the c consistent production? I guess now you're you're looking at him. They didn't know what position Porter Justin was, Gustin was going to play at the next level. Was he a defensive end? What were, I think now you're looking at him specifically or solely or primarily as a 3-4 outside linebacker. One guy that I, I feel is probably in that same tier as Gustin in terms of level of prospect, Anthony Nelson from Iowa, uh, another bigger defensive end, 6'7", 271 pounds, really great length. Uh, you know, we just talked about it with, uh, you know, with uh, uh, Max Crosby. 
this kid was outstanding in the shuttles for a guy that big. Um, I, I was pretty impressed overall with the numbers that we saw from Anthony Nelson. I know you were surprised, or you were impressed with what you saw in the position drills as well. Yeah, I, what what surprised me about him is when you look at his ten time one six five because. When you watch Nelson on film, he doesn't have that explosive first step. He basically beats people with power, even though he's 271 pounds. 6.95 in a three-cone is also a terrific number for him. Uh, and I think he's got to get a little bit stronger, even though he plays a power game. And I think he's going to be a very good 3-4 uh, defensive end, which, you know, in the playmaker sense, he's got to have good movement skills rather than just be someone who occupies the gaps or occupies the blockers. 35.5-inch vert, that's outstanding. Another versatile defensive lineman from Boston College, Zach Allen, had a nice performance today in Indianapolis. You know, the, the, the sad thing is, you know, 281 pounds, he ran a, what, a 4.95, and that's slow compared to a lot of these guys. Oh, usually, that's, that's, a, you know, that's a good number. His official actually ended up being five. Five, okay. Uh, Well, the hand time was 4.95. But still, I I mean, with so many guys under four, you you look at that. uh, Zach Allen's a player. I mean, he is just an outstanding player. I think he's going to be underdrafted. I think he's a guy that can line up at a multitude of positions. uh, As as a uh, undersized defensive tackle, as an end in a four-man line, or as an end in a two-man line. Uh, Somebody's going to get him in the second round. I think they're going to get a great bargain. So last lineman we're going to bring up here, Jamal Davis out of Akron. Tony, what can you tell us about him and his day here in Indy? He, I mean, he put up great numbers, but he doesn't stand out to you on film. He came into the season with a very high grade from scouts, was great as a, a third-round prospect. And, you know, this is the problem with Davis. You know, he looks the part, but he doesn't always play to it. Looks like Tarzan at times plays like Jane. I mean, you're looking at this. Uh, Tony, Tony, we can't we can't use that that phrase anymore. Come on now. Oh, I'm 2019. Sorry. Jeez. I'm sorry. All right. Looks like Tarzan plays like Chris McPherson. There you go. There we go. <laughs> uh, uh, you look at that ten split under ten, uh, under one point six. Um, uh, you know, I just, I, I just don't. You don't see the production from uh, Davis on film. Well, you don't see the playmaking. Now, it could also be because at Akron they used him, and even here, you know, six foot three, two hundred forty-three pounds. He's playing defensive end, and he's probably better off standing up over tackle. And he's got these these uh, computer numbers, thirty-nine inch vertical jump, which leads you to believe he's got the athleticism to stand over tackle. Speaking of Tarzan, would you check out your uh, luggage there, Tony? as it's sitting in our hotel room now with the uh, cheetah print on there. So transitioning to the linebackers, how about the two Devons, okay? Devin White, we expected to lay up the track there at Indy, but Devin Bush, I think a lot of people are going to be happy with his results there. I mean, yeah, off the charts. I, I was very impressed with Devin Bush. Number one, not only the speed, the three-cone time. I was impressed with him in drills, specifically moving in reverse. Because coming into the whole process off the film, I looked at Bush. I said, you know what? He's basically a downhill, ball, a downhill linebacker. Struggles making plays, moving in reverse. Looked very fluid in drills, backpedaling, flipping his hips, uh, moving sideways. So maybe it was just something that he never worked on at Michigan because he was never asked to do it. But he did it well today. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers side by side with those two guys, I mean, I don't don't think any of us would have expected. I I expected Bush, and that's why I listened to my stopwatch shocker uh, in the preview, but I wouldn't have expected him to test better across the board than than Devin White. That's pretty much what he did. I mean, 
they came in at relatively similar measurables, uh, and then they came. The the test scores were were better across the board. The only thing that was a little bit better, Devin White ran a four four two, and Bush ran a four four three. But uh, everything else was was more in the favor of the Michigan linebacker from an athletic standpoint. So uh, I thought that it was a really really good day for Devin Bush. Another guy I was pretty impressed with from a number standpoint, Tony, and I had this to be expected. Former safety, an athletic kid, special teams demon for sure during his time with the Irish, and, and that's Drew Tranquil, who we saw down at the Senior Bowl. Really good day for him from a testing standpoint. That's not a surprise because as we, as we talked about, you know, Tranquil was a guy who made plays with his athleticism as opposed to his uh, teammate Trayvon Coney, who I don't think did anything today as far as testing was no. concerned, correct? No. Made plays with his instincts. So, uh, yeah, I mean, even if, if you watch the film with Tranquil, I mean, there are times where he, he's uh, defending the slot receiver uh, in space and he does a good job. So that's not uh, th- that was never a question with uh, Tranquil. The question is how complex of a defense can he handle? So two more linebackers to round out the, uh, the winners from today, both from the Big Ten. How about Blake Cashman and Andrew Van Ginkle? Cashman surprised the, the heck out of me. I, I mean, he uh, those were some terrific numbers. I would have never expected him to run that fast. I watched the init- When I watched the film, the first go-through with him, I kind of dismissed him, which means I'm going to have to go back and really watch it again. Um, Van Ginkle did not run the 40. He ran a good three-cone time, 38-inch vert. I mean, he's, he's, he's a long guy. He looks flashy, but... Uh, on film, he just he just did not make enough plays for me. I want to see what he runs the forty in because he did not run today. Yeah, he didn't run the forty, but the the three cone was very good. The short shuttle was excellent. The jumps were good. So for a guy at six three and a half, two hundred forty pounds to test as well as he did, uh, the, those were really really impressive numbers. All right, let's. Uh, you were you were lights out with your predictions and your reporting on, on what the guys were going to do today. What are uh, some early predictions for tomorrow? Who should we uh, who should we start off at the top of this list? Well, I was told or led to believe that Kendall Sheffield, the cornerback from Ohio State, was going to compete to be the fastest man at the Combine. He was expecting or he was timing in the high four twos on a consistent basis. I was there in the, uh, in the gym or in the room there today when he was bench pressing. Something went wrong. You could see he was grimacing in pain. I thought it was a left shoulder or a left arm injury. Fran, you said it looks like a left pectoral injury. So I can't imagine, and I sent some feelers out to get more information, I can't imagine that Kendall Sheffield's going to run tomorrow. Uh, hopefully he'll be able to run before the, uh, before the draft at some point in time or else his draft stock is going to take a hit because you want to know how fast the guy is. Kind of ironic in that Billy Price, the first-round center from Ohio State, was in the same situation a yeah. year ago where he uh, hurt his peck on the bench press, which kind of hurt his draft stock a bit. So we're going to have to wait and see on Sheffield, but I doubt he's going to run, and he probably would have run in the four twos. Juan Thornhill. Here's a guy who was thought of as a high four five guy, low four six guy. I'm told he's going to run in the low four fours tomorrow. Wow. His vertical jump will be near 40 inches. His broad jump will be over 11 feet. I think uh, he led all defensive backs. I think he with. He was either first or second defensive backs with 21 reps today at the bench. I was tweeting them out as they were completing them. I think there may have been someone who did uh, 22. So Juan Thornhill, I think, is a guy that's going to turn some heads tomorrow. Uh, Darnell Savage, a guy who's estimated in the four fives, is probably going to run 
under 4-4 tomorrow in the 4-3s. He was a practice player of the week, I believe, at the Senior Bowl. He's uh, will have a three-cone under uh, seven seconds. Came into the season as a priority free agent. Moved into the middle rounds because of his play, and I'm hearing a good push, a good workout could push him into the late part of day two. Uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson expect some fast times from him. Uh, college, uh, high school track guy who's going to run in the four threes. He's outstanding on film. Teams are looking at him both safety and corner. A little bit small for safety, but he's very good at the very worst. I think he's a nickel corner. You play over the slot receiver. Funny uh, moment during the media interviews. He uh, turned from uh, turned into one of the reporters going up and uh, grilling Deontay Thompson. Uh, it was a funny moment there in the uh, press conference area later on, show, showing a little bit of personality and, and swag. So not, not getting after him in terms of trash talking or anything like that, but – uh, just a funny moment between two former SEC rivals. And uh, if you remember, Tony, we did uh, a mock draft at the Senior Bowl where Fran and I went back and forth using only Senior Bowl players to predict the first round. And then when we got to the Eagles selection, I believe it was Mike Edwards from Kentucky who you pegged to the Eagles there at the 25th selection. Your thoughts on what he might do tomorrow? I know exactly what he'll do on the, uh, tomorrow. He'll be on the sidelines in sweats. Now, why is that? Because at that same senior bowl you, we spoke about, he broke his thumb. Uh, so he just recently started working out. Uh, I was told that he had been running in the 4-4s in the lead-up to the senior bowl as they were you know, w- doing some workouts. Right now, he is looking for an April pro day before the draft. But Edwards will not work out tomorrow at the Combine because of the broken thumb he suffered at the senior bowl and the rehab, which basically just ended right before the combine all right so that's going to do it for this mammoth edition of draft buzz make sure to check out tony's work again at draftanalyst.com at tony pauling on twitter again you know i'm sitting there in the stadium and tony drops that bombshell about kyle murray you know done deal quote unquote going number one to arizona up next fran and i discuss six players we're most excited to see on the turf tomorrow here in indianapolis now it's time for pick six. All right, pick six. Uh, we're looking again at the defensive backs. Tony gave us a comprehensive look at some of the players who will shine. He mentioned one of the guys who I was looking forward to seeing tomorrow, so I'm not going to mention him, but I'm going to steal one from you here, Fran. Okay? Okay. I'm going to go in your backyard. Temple oh. University near Rocky Sin. Okay, we saw the battles he had with Debo Samuel at the Senior Bowl. Uh, just a very intelligent, engaging young man. Uh, talked earlier today about his quick transition from Presbyterian to Temple, how he became uh, one of the team leaders. What They gave out the single digits, what do they call it, the Temple Tough? Temple Tough. Temple Tough, okay. T-U-F-F. And, and Yasin understood what that meant because he said there were players grinding on that in that program for three to four years to earn that right, and he got it in like two months. So. I look, I, I was there when they instituted that uh, the uh, that tradition. That is not given out lightly. So I, I mean, I was taken aback when I found out that he got it back in the summer. That I, when I when I heard, oh, you know, a newcomer got it, that immediately perked my ears up to to Rocky's head. Yeah, two time state wrestling champion in Georgia. Awesome. So all right, that's my first guy. So I'm, I'm going to go with the guy, and I'm actually kind of interested to get Tony's thoughts here uh, on a player that I had heard was going to test very, very well. I want to say 
Bruce Feldman had this guy on his freaks list. Uh, Auburn cornerback Jamel Dean, uh, a guy that's got a long history of knee injuries going back to high school. Uh, it affected his ability to get into Ohio State. They didn't clear him after signing day, so he transferred, ended up at Auburn. Uh, very talented player. He's got size. He's got athleticism. Uh, but the knee injury is obviously going to be a big question. He went through the medical today. We'll see. Uh, I guess we'll hear in a, in a few weeks uh, through back channels how, uh, how that all panned out for him. But uh, he's a guy that if he tests tomorrow, uh, I'm excited to see how he looks because from a physical standpoint, I think he's got all the tools. I don't know what you've heard, Tony. Well, uh, it's all upside. You know, it's all – we watch the film. He doesn't make a lot of plays on film, even when you're trying to watch for him. He wasn't a starter. He was basically put in a nickel and dime packages. Uh, you know, he's got excellent size. Um, even if everything pans out, I think at best he's probably a, a last day pick somewhere. All right, my next guy, we didn't get to see him. We, we saw him in person, but didn't get to see him play at the Senior Bowl. Jonathan Abram from Mississippi State, yep. hard-hitting safety. You know, has basically was giving us a preview. He thinks he's going to wow everyone tomorrow here in Indianapolis. So, uh, again, known for someone who can bring the wood there in the middle of a defense. Intrigued to see what those athletic testing numbers are tomorrow. One guy I'm going to go with is uh, Sean Bunting, the the cornerback from Central Michigan. And it's funny, you know, this was the day you know where the DB spoke to the media, mm-hmm. and this is the lightest day for media every single year. <laughs> So there's not a lot of reporters there. We're yep. talking to the DBs, and we're there. We're holding it down. We're, get, we're getting to the point, by the end, there were more players available at a time because it was about yeah. waves of about maybe 16 guys, 16 players, and it was almost that many reporters at this point. So, I, you know, at this point, I'm in rapid-fire mode because I know if I don't just get in and out with these guys that they're going to start walking away because no one's talking to them. So, you know, I go over to the tables. And I see a corner over in the in the uh, the deep corner, of the, one of the tables by himself. No one's talking to him. I see oh. the nameplate. It's Sean Bunting, one of my favorite corners in this draft. And so I wander over there, and I I just say to him, I'm like, do you, do you feel disrespected right now? And he says, Yeah, I feel disrespected right now. And I said, Do you think uh, people are going to feel this way tomorrow, or is that going to change tomorrow? He said, Hell yeah, it's going to change tomorrow. So he, he's excited to, to work out, kind of prove himself as one of the top corners in this draft. Ooh. I'm very, very intrigued by, by this kid and, and you know his tools, his athleticism, his ball skills, his competitiveness. Uh, I really like his play personality on film. So uh, Sean Bunting from Central Michigan, the guy I'm excited to see work out. My last guy, guy caught my eye at the Senior Bowl, Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky. Tall, almost six foot two, 213 pounds, feisty, physical, almost 33-inch arms. You know, looking to see if the athletic testing numbers can back up that play style and allow him to thrive at the next level. So intriguing background, had to go to Juco route, was originally offered to be a wide receiver at Ohio State, uh, didn't qualify academically, made his way to be a corner at Kentucky, and here he is at the NFL Scouting Combine. So that's my last player who I'm looking forward to see in action tomorrow. And my last guy is going to be a safety that I had a lot of fun watching, and that's Malik Gant from, uh, from Marshall. And I don't want to take credit for this conversation. I'm going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be that guy that kind of poaches somebody else's questions and you know feels them as mine. Oh, um, wow, but wow, we're, we're, shots I'm fired. Saying, but shots uh, fired. 
Tell us how you really Jordan, feel for him. Jordan Rodrigue from uh, who cover? I want to. I don't want to say the wrong paper. Uh, Charlotte you, Observer. I want to say you might be right. Uh, does a great job covering the Panthers. Yeah. A, a good follow on Twitter. Uh, she was talking to Malik Ant. I walked over and it was just her. So I said, "Oh, I'm just going to sit down and uh, listen to what he's got to say." I was really impressed with the kid. Uh, you know, he just talked about you know yeah he's always been undersized. But you know, just his approach uh, to you know to the game from a mental standpoint, an emotional standpoint, a competitive standpoint. He is a fearless tackler. One of my uh, notes that I wrote down about him while watching him is that he's got no conscience as a hitter. I mean, he is one of the biggest hitters that I've studied in this class. Uh, one of the most competitive and ferocious defensive backs that I've studied over the last couple of years. So uh, Malik Gant, there are questions about him, and there I want to see how he tests because his his testing tomorrow is going to be a big thing. If he tests well. You're going to start hearing buzz about this kid, like early day three or early day two, rather, as a as wow. a potential top, you know, fifty pick, top sixty pick. That, that's kind of how I feel about uh, him on film. The question I had was his athleticism. So, you know, to me, uh, Malik Gann is a guy I'm excited to watch tomorrow. I, I'm very disappointed as we are going to now shift to our unofficial visit. That we we didn't we didn't talk about this guy at all during the uh, in terms of the timing and testing drills today in Indianapolis, and that's uh, Western Illinois' Colin Saunders and. Uh, just his movement, his footwork, it's so clean, it's so fluid. It was a thing of beauty to watch. I mean, very, very impressive out there uh, in Indianapolis today. Uh, but Fran had a chance to catch up with him at the Senior Bowl. What, one of the most engaging, lighthearted, uh, absolute fun to be around. Yep. Stole the show the other, other day uh, during media interviews. Just very, very engaging guy to be with. So let's get to that interview now. Colin Saunders, you know, interviewed by Fran Duffy back at the Senior Bowl. The unofficial visit. Here now with Western Illinois defensive tackle Colin Saunders. And Colin, for fans who have yet to watch you play, give us a quick scouting report of what you'll bring to the NFL. Uh, I think that um, one of my biggest qualities is just explosion. Uh, I feel like I'm a very explosive player. I uh, I take pride in being explosive and, and quick off the ball. And um, you know, and then another thing I think that uh, I bring to the table is is in, being a very uh, intellectual player. A very intelligent player. I uh, I study a lot of film. I've played a lot of positions, and so um, you know, a lot of times, like I can I can know what's gonna come, uh, based off a of backfield set, based off of uh, you know, any kind of tight end set, anything like that. And so, like I said, uh, just that that um, intelligence as far as recognizing plays, uh, recognizing backfield sets recognizing tight end sets, all kind of things like that is uh, what I'll bring to the table. Hey, don't take this the wrong way. Well, fans don't necessarily think about defensive line from as as far as like a intellectual position, yeah. but you're looking at those things pre-snap. You see it all the time. Guys like Fletcher Cox will point things out, and they're pointing the direction of the run play. They're pointing out where the double teams are going to happen. Yeah, those yes, are sir. all things you kind of take pride in. Yes, sir. Like you said, uh, if you can tell, if I can tell the guys behind me what play's about to come, it's gonna, we're going to be successful. You know, so uh, – if, uh, like you said, I can if I can point and say, hey, the run's going this way or double team's coming this way or even tell, like, like um, the guy next to me, hey, a double team's coming your way, they can be better equipped to play that play. Yeah. And um, that, that's a big help. And, you know, and I, and I love when I play with other guys like that as well. Sure. Because, you know, obviously, like, I like to recognize things, but I might miss something. And then the guy tells me, hey, you know, running backs to you, run's coming this way or whatever, whatever yeah. that may be. And, um, you know, that, that kind of thing, those kind of things are a big help and uh, when you play. You've played a couple different positions along the defensive line. Yes, What's sir. your favorite role to play on a, on a front, on a defensive front? Uh, I love playing three-tech 
um, like you know, right, shading the guard sure. in a uh, in a in a base defense. But I don't lie, when those couple reps that I got playing stand up, <laughs> those were those were some fun reps, man. I I, I do enjoy uh, uh, being out there on the edge in the two point. So um, you know, obviously I, I won't get much of that. Sure. But uh, you know, if any teams want me to do that, I'm more than capable of doing it. All right, so let me ask you, because earlier this spring, you know, uh, you made some waves. Adam Schefter tweeted out a video of you doing backflips. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, 300 pounds. At what point do you decide your size? You know, I'm, I'm going to give this a shot. Let me see if I, if I can go backflip. How many times did it take you before you were able to hit it clean? Yeah, well, actually, um, it wasn't that, like, I first tried it when I was this size. I've been doing it for a while. Okay. Um, I've been doing it since I was, like, eight. And when I was eight, I was not – Close to 300 pounds. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was one of those things that um, I, I learned how to do very early on, and then just I stuck with it okay. uh, as I grew. And, um, you know, it's, I have the same kind of athleticism that I had when I was younger, and, um, and it just translated, you know, like now I'm here today, and I still know how to do it just because, right. I, you know, I, I did it as I was growing, so I never, like, just did it when I was young and then stopped doing it and then tried it again when I was 320 pounds. Sure. Like I just, you know, as I, every year I was like doing backflips, maybe whether that be in training camp in the summer or whatever, yeah. just, you know, it's just something fun I like doing. All right, well, take us through the, the feedback you've gotten from scouts so far. What's one area that you know uh, ta in talking with them that you want to help prove yourself over the next couple of months? I want to prove that uh, the biggest area is just proving my consistency and proving that I belong here. Yep. You know, obviously I'm, I play against um, – uh, uh, lower level competition in people's eyes, and even though I don't believe in that, believe that, but uh, a lot of the scouts say that you know they just want want to see me prove what I can do against uh, you know all the big time schools, all the big time players, and um, and that's why I'm here, and that's why you know that's why I'm, I'm happy I'm here is I get to I get to prove myself. Sure, a lot, a lot of guys come from the MVFC and have they're not called the SEC of the FCS for nothing. Exactly, a lot of guys come from exactly. that level of competition exactly. have plenty of success. Well, Colin, uh, appreciate the time. Best of luck this week and over the next couple of months. Thank you, I appreciate that. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, deep breath, final segment here. Draft mailbag, Tony Pauline sticking around here, so kind, you know, just truly, truly a, a, a gentleman to be spending a couple extra minutes with us. So, uh, so many questions. We appreciate it. This is tremendous. Again, make sure, rate, review, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to our show those questions will definitely get answered first, but let's blow through these here. All right, at tmanic21, my man checking in again. There's been a little chatter at coaching clinics about the scouting community's grading process around tackling. Obviously, this is a focus with safety. Just wondering how it figures in your process and scouts you talk to. So basically, how do you factor in the tackling portion of the grading process? There's three ways to look at it. A guy who's a strong open field tackler squares and wraps up. Then there's a guy who gives effort, but he's a drag down tackler. He has tackles broken. And then there's the guy who does more hitting and knocking down than tackling. So uh, obviously, you, I went from the best to the worst. You want the guy who's a strong open field tackler and brings the ball carrier down to the point of attack. And the guy who constantly just throws his shoulders in the ball carrier and tries to knock them down, that can lead to misery. You actually left out the absolute worst. Well, the miss what the guys that the, the, guys that, the guys that yeah that that are almost like unwilling tacklers and you know oh, yeah. aren't competitive. I mean, those are the guys that you really to me. That's what it comes down to, and it's almost 
I think it's almost Tony like the conversation that we have when it comes to tight ends and blocking. You know, you want look, you want do you want to see a guy that you know lines up in line with his hand in the dirt and you know and, and blocks down on a defensive end? Sure, you'd like to see that, but you're not always going to see that. And so to me, you're looking for a guy that's willing uh, and he shows the physicality. He's got the size to be able to do it. Uh, you know, they'll they'll coach him up. Every team kind of coaches tackling different now. You're starting to see uh, not just you know the wrap up with your face, uh, you know, your eyes up, and uh, you know wrap up and finish and bring your feet and bring your hips through. You're starting to see a lot of those you know the the roll tackles and all the different kinds of techniques with getting guys to the ground with today's rules. So I think really ultimately. Every team's going to look at it differently. What they ultimately want are competitive, tough kids that have the athleticism to break down and finish and have the toughness to and the willingness to be able to do it at a high level. All right, so next question comes from at Scooter McGill 1. Uh, what is, with all the movement in terms of stock fluctu- fluctuation, what is the most realistic possibility for the Eagles in terms of a defensive lineman who will be available at 25. It won't be Montez Sweat. So if you had him in a mock draft, that's done after today. So who could actually legitimately be there for the Eagles at number 25 and or tackle? I, I think it's it's more and more looking like Dexter Lawrence may not be there based on what I'm hearing about his really? uh, his uh, workouts. But, you know, listen, I mean, anything's possible because there are just so many defensive linemen. I mean, I've had Draymond Jones – of uh, Ohio State uh, there. I don't know that the Eagles like him enough that they would take him. I mean, it's, it's a good question. Um, right now... Well, what about far- Christian? Where, where are you? Yeah, I think in, Christian Wilkins is going to go to Miami. I think, he, I, 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 you know, unless Miami... I, I think Christian Wilkins is going to end so up there. that's top 15. Yeah. I, I mean, he's too talented. He worked, He looked good today. I, I can't see Christian Wilkins falling down. But You're you know what? You're crushing me right now. The, uh, the Eagles have shown a penchant to trade up to get their guy or to move down and, and, and maneuver maneuver so they could get a – if they really like it, a Draymond Jones, I don't know that they do. Um, they, you know, they, and they, they don't think he's worth the first-round pick. They can move down. You know, they can move down and get a guy like Zach Allen if they think that's going to help him or somebody else. I know, you re- I know you really like Cleveland Farrell. Is Cleveland Farrell a lock to go in the top 24? I believe so. Yeah, Is I mean, Brian Burns a lock to go top 24? He worked out incredibly well today. Yeah. He didn't. Uh, he didn't bench. I think he's going to because he can get at the uh, get to the quarterback. My problem with Brian Burns is, you know, you talked before about players that aren't overly physical and aggressive. He comes across as that once in a while. He seems very disinterested if the play's not in his immediate vicinity. Um, and then there's also offensive line, but we're talking about defenders. So is Rashawn Gary a top, lock for the top? Oh, he's top ten right. after today. Yeah. So. To me, so that, I was looking at numbers-wise. Right. Nick Bosa, Brian Burns, Rashawn Gary, Cleland Farrell, Montez Sweat, Josh Allen. That's six guys, right? That's not counting Ed Oliver, top lock for the top 24, right? right. Quinn Williams, that's eight. Christian Wilkins is nine. Dexter Lawrence, that would be ten. So that would leave 14 spots for Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, uh, and then any other of these blue chip guys? I mean, Andre Diller, Metcalf, De- probably. DK Metcalf, TJ Hawkinson, uh, De- but, you know, De- De- Devin White. Are we talking about? Are, we, are you are you staying on the defensive line? Yeah, uh, I'm thing? just trying to see if like, like, is it realistic for all of those? That was those. We said ten defensive linemen. Is it? Well, realistic I mean, the other guy. Well, the other guy to consider would be Jerry Tillery. Got it. 
So you would you would view him in that in in that in that way? I I have him as a first round pick. He worked out okay. well today. Okay. All right. So there's that there's the answer to that question. All right. Let me uh I'll hit you up with the next one. So we're looking now for at a question from P Edgar KSU. What do you make of DK Metcalf's very poor agility time? Something uh, we hinted at being possible, but we haven't talked about it yet here on the podcast. What does it mean? It means that he's very fast in a straight line. You know, uh, again, I think I said this yesterday, Taylor Mays. I mean, Taylor Mays, uh, and I know, I know we spoke about this personally. Now, I think DK Metcalf is a better prospect than Taylor Mays, but Taylor Mays, I mean, he, was, he had an Olympian-type workout in the forty. But, you know, when he tried to move laterally, he was not fast. He was not fluid. He was not smooth. And that's what it is with DK Metcalf. Yeah, he's great in a straight line. But, you know, and that comes across on film. In his route running, in his body control, in his balance. Uh, you know, he's great athlete. He's definitely – I wouldn't even consider him a, a good receiver at this point in time. All right, so next question from at Shard Sanders. Dexter Lawrence, a fit for the Eagles after seeing the workout. Only was able to do the 40, but we all agree, yes, he would be a fit. It's just a question of whether he'll be there at this point at 25. At Steve Gasky, 36, uh, would you trade up from number 25 to get your guy? I would certainly, if there's a guy, you have the draft ammo, you have the capital. If there's a player who you think is worth it, like Tony mentioned, if they really want one of these blue-chip defensive linemen, they may have to move up to go get them. It's in their DNA. I mean, they, 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 you know, good teams work the draft. You look at uh, the Niners in the 80s with Bill Walsh. You look at the Cowboys in the 90s with uh, Jerry Johnson, Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Johnson, Jerry Johnson, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, Bill Belichick always worked the draft, would move up, would move down, would trade away uh, second-round picks this year for first-round picks next year. And the Eagles have also, you know, worked the draft, moving up to get Carson Wentz, moving down to get Dallas Goddard. So, yeah, I mean, why not? Is there a team in the, we'll say, the uh, the low to mid-teens that would, would potentially be looking to trade back? Because, you know, the Eagles have two early second-round picks, two, you know, well, not even early, but two picks – uh, they've got three picks in what the top fifty-three, top fifty-four, right? So uh, top fifty-seven. Okay, so uh, you know, I think when you look at w- the picks the, that they have, you know, if you're looking to package two of those picks to move up, I'm imagining that gets you probably into you know the the early teens, mid-teens. Is there are there any teams that you see Tony as being willing to move down if the Eagles were looking to move up? I'd say Cleveland be willing to move down, but they got tons and tons of picks. So I, you know, I, I don't see it for that reason. Um, Oakland picks is the pick before them, so I can't see that. Baltimore. If there's a free safety, if their free safety that they like is not available, they may be willing to trade down because they lost a pick in the Lamar Jackson deal last year. That's a possibility. Um, Minnesota needs an offensive lineman. If, if, say, Andre Dillard is off the board, they may be willing to trade down. I'm, I'm sure you'll, you know, and, and let's just say for hypothetical purposes, Let's, but they're not going to trade with Philadelphia, so let's throw that hypothetical out the window. There's always so I can't see anybody off the, off the top of my head. I mean, I, the Jets would likely want to trade down, but I cannot see the Jets trading from number three to number 25. All right, at Joker Rules 2, will the Eagles pick a defensive end or a running back at 25? Don't quite know yet, but I would expect at some point. Th- both those positions need to be addressed this offseason, even with the re-signing of Brandon Graham, and certainly the running back position is in flux. So 
whether it's the first round pick, whether at some point, you know, again, three of the first 57 draft selections, eight picks overall, I expect both of those positions to be addressed at some point. You certainly don't force it, though, no matter what. Uh, at Real Eric with K, will Montez, this is a great question, will Montez Sweat go in the top 10 now? Your thoughts on that, Tony? Montez Sweat after his amazing workout as a top 10 selection. I mean, the only team in the top 10 that I could see taking him is Detroit, and I think they'd prefer Rashawn Gary. Uh, does he go in the top 10? I'm going to say no, primarily because there are just so many good pass rushes and so many good defensive linemen that even though he's good, there are other guys that are ahead of him. All right, so, and actually... Uh, I guess the question now is, I guess the question now is, is does... Uh, well, real quick, real quick before you answer that, uh, a follow-up from Real Eric with K was actually, where do you see Rashawn Gary going? So I guess you're saying Detroit there. I've always thought Detroit. Okay. It could also be the Giants. I mean, if the, if the New York Giants are not sold on Dwayne Haskins, uh, I think the Giants could also take uh, Rashawn Gary. All right. You're, what were you going to follow up there with Sweat? Was it? Uh... Well, I, I mean, I guess the question now is uh, – the sweat go before Cleveland Farrell. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see Cleveland Farrell, how he runs and everything else, but there's a chance he could go before Cleveland Farrell, which would pr- probably open up a spot in that top ten. Although, I, you know, there's they're only I'm hell-bent on Farrell being a top ten pick. Not everyone is, so I've got to throw that out there. All right, here, a philosophical question here for you guys. At Tweet Handle here asks, with the defense going so much towards speed, who is the best power running back in the draft to counterpunch with Fighting speed with speed is becoming too difficult with offensive line play and the speed of the linebackers. So uh, it's one of those almost philosophical, Is will the league go cyclic and, you know, eventually, you know, you, you run at these lighter fronts enough that you'll start seeing, you know, stronger, bigger defensive linemen, defensive fronts again, and then everything changes. At least for the time being, though, uh, who would be the best power running back? to counter against these lighter fronts? I would say, you know, it'd probably be Damian Harris. I think Mo- David Montgomery could yep. also fit that bill, and he's more of a uh, an Eagles type of back, in my opinion. Later on, D- Divine Zigbo. Uh, you know, there's really not a, a traditional Wisconsin downhill run over your ball carrier. I, I, if there's anybody like that, about, it's, it's probably Damian Harris. Maybe the kid from Dexter Williams from Notre Dame. How about L.J. Scott? Yeah, L.J. Scott, but... I mean, there's, I, I know there's other things. There, right. I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I would agree with L.J. Scott, but, who, who, you, you know, L.J. Scott's a power guy that's got, you know, glass limbs, glass uh, glass joints. Yeah, well, you know, the other guy that I think you have similar kind of uh, medical concerns with is Rodney Anderson. You watch right. him on film, I think he's got right. natural power as well. He, to me, I think Rodney Anderson is one of the two or three most talented running backs in this class. It's just obviously it's the medical. Well, it's only one medical issue that reared its ugly head last season, So, uh, as opposed to L.J. Scott, where it just seems to be a never-ending uh, string of injuries, All right. sadly. All right, at Clee underscore Spartans, C-L-E underscore Spartans. Uh, how about some buzz involving the Big 12 defenders and uh, going through Charles Amenahu, L.J. Collier, Dan- Daniel Wise. How-, how about Ben Benugu from uh, TCU? I thought had a very, very good day today. You know, when you when you you, you mentioned his handle coming off the L.J. Scott question, I, I thought for sure that was going to be a uh, Michigan State <laughs> question. Um, so, again uh, – 
big question about the Big 12 guys. Benago did well. Benago would like to see the uh, – Benago did much better than uh, Collier, which I thought was a surprise. I mean, much, much better. Obviously, Ty Summers uh, really, really did well, but we had predict- we predicted that and, and we spoke about that. Um, on the other hand, you had little Jordan Humphrey, who bra- mm-hmm. basically is now looks like a, uh, a seventh-round selection. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see Benagu outperform Collier right. in this event, but I, you know, Collier also was much better than Benagu at the Senior Bowl. So, much better. Um, you know, I think Collier is the, is the better football player at this point, with Benagu probably being the more impressive athlete. Omenahu is a guy. You know, look, he he didn't test well today. Let's not. We're not going to break any bones about it. But I think uh, this is a guy again, like Collier. is a good football player, and you know, this. He's going to fit a lot of those teams that look for size and length and strength off the edge. You know, Akeem Butler, we talked about him yesterday, really did. He didn't do great, but he did much better than expected, which, uh, which will go a, a long, long way. Uh, you know, Will Greer was not good. Um, Cody Ford was not good in the testing, but was outstanding in the drills. Dalton Reisner was not good in the testing. I mean, I, I really got to – I've seen 1-9-3 in this 10 split in the 40, which is a killer. Daniel Wise was terrible in the testing, but he actually looked really good, I thought, during position drills. I would agree with the second part of what you said. I disagree wholeheartedly with the testing scores. Well, let's see what they are. I got you. I got them right here. He was terrible in the 40. That was a bad number. Okay. And the vert was very was, – was bad. Okay. His short shuttle was outstanding. Was what? Four three seven. Okay. And his which is good, which is, makes sense because he's going to be a three technique tackle at the yeah. next level. And the the what was his ten? Do you have his ten time? His ten was one eight, which <sighs> is not not good. Yeah, that's horrible for a three technique guy. No. We'll see what he does at the pro day. We can approve the the forty. I'm not worried necessarily about the forty. But... I'm not either. But when you got a when you get a three technique guy who's got to beat people off the snap with the, with his first step and he's running the one eights and the four and the ten time, that's per- not a good. The uh, thing no, that the it, thing that was particularly bad about it was that he did it at two eighty one. I mean, he came in at two hundred eighty one pounds. So you know that's the alarming thing. But the the four three seventh short shuttle was outstanding. Uh, the three cone time was fine. I thought that was an above average number. The broad jump was an above average number. Um, you know, it it seems to be that. And that showed up with the vert and with the ten yard split. I mean, that's where you start to see that short area explosiveness. Uh, that seemed to be the question there with Wise. All right, another uh, philosophical question for you guys. At it's Jeffrey wants to know: Is there something to be said about bigger defensive ends having more success rather than slim, explosive guys like a Dion Jordan, like an Arden Key uh, against a, a JJ Watt or a Chris Jones? So, your thoughts on? the philosophical approach to when building the defensive line room, uh, going for someone who's bigger versus some of these linear pass rushers, Tony. Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, uh, really, who was the, the kid that played for the, came out of Syracuse, played for the Colts all that year? Uh, Freeney? Dwight Freeney, right. I mean, he's one of the few really, like, undersized, slim guys at defensive end that have been able to come out of the three-point stance. And it's, it, it, the answer to that is simple. Is the Brian Burns of the world and, and the guys that he mentioned, Deion Jordan and Arden Key, you can't – I mean, you're talking about people that uh, – guys or uh, prospects that had different issues there. Off, there's off-field concerns. Right, that, off-field that concerns and, and yes. you know. Um, but the fact is, is when you are so much more – and Randy Gregory also fits into that uh, – that 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 group. When you are so much more athletic and so much more explosive, 
it is much easier to exploit the talent that you're playing against on Saturday as opposed to playing what you're going to be up against on Sunday. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the uh, the regular season stats for players that uh, recorded sacks this past year, and I'm just looking at this list and. Tell me the guys that are those, you know, undersized, you know, uh, speed rushers, right? And I'm just going to go off the edge, guys. I'm not going to include Aaron Donald. J.J. Watt, Donnell Hunter was not that guy. He was the guy that wins with length. Miles Garrett, Frank Clark, Chandler Jones, Ryan Kerrigan, T.J. Watt, Khalil Mack, Jason Pierre-Paul, DeForest Buckner, Bradley Chubb, Cam Jordan, Calais Campbell, Demarcus Lawrence, Jaron Reed, Yannick Ngakwe. These well, how big are, is Demarcus Lawrence? He wasn't a real big guy entering but the he league. Went, but the way that he wins is with length, and yeah. he, he's not a pure speed rusher. Now, a couple guys that are in there. Von Miller, who's a freak right. show, and does he does a lot with, with his hands, and he's a, a great you know uh, a technician as a pass rusher. And then D Ford, who that's all he did this past year was just run by people, and it was his you know it was his best year of his career. Right, which is basically all he did. Exactly, Auburn. That's all he did. No question. At the Senior Bowl that yep. year, I mean, uh, Ali Moppet was the only guy who was able to stop him. But all he did was take wide rushes, wide uh, angles, uh, big angles around the pass rusher, about uh, around the tackles. You need guys that uh, can impact the the quarterback through right. you know playing through strength and playing with technique. And I think when you know you're looking at today's game, size matters off the, off the edge. Yeah, uh, carefully so, say that. You know, I think really uh, that's kind of what you're hoping for. Uh, with some of these guys. And, hey, look, you want guys that look like Von Miller. Sure, you want guys that have that freaky first step and flexibility. But size size absolutely matters off the edge you, when you look at those guys. Um, that's why, to me, the, those bigger bodies, it, it's the, those are the guys I think it's trending towards. Which is, And that will be the interesting question when it comes to uh, Montez Sweat. All right, four more questions. Uh, some from other teams regarding other teams around the league. So we'll need your input on this, uh, TP. Uh, at Parsons 13, Chad, thoughts on what the Steelers are looking for early on in this draft? And obviously there's a lot going on with them with uh, the Antonio Brown situation in flux as well as Le'Veon Bell's uh, impending free agency. Uh, they uh, And they also need a corner. But I think the way uh, Devin Bush ran today, uh, come tomorrow, everybody will be mocking Devin Bush to the Pittsburgh Steelers with their needed inside linebacker. All right, next question here. At Scotty underscore Payne, has the Broncos' interest in Drew Locke or any of the other quarterbacks cooled since the trade for Joe Flacco? Well, I'll let Fran answer because he he had some scoop or he had an opinion, but the, the answer is no. I mean, they still need a long, you know, what is the situation? Is Joe Flacco going to play five more years there? I mean, what's happening to Case Keenum? It's, it's a cluster you-know-what. So the answer is no. I, I still think that they're going to take a quarterback within the first three rounds. Yeah, the, my, my thing was, you know, looking at who Denver hired as their offensive coordinator. Their offensive coordinator uh, is Rich Scangarello, who, uh, if you're not familiar, he was the quarterback coach for Kyle Shanahan the last two years in San Francisco. He was a, a QC coach for him in Atlanta back in 2015. That Kyle Shanahan tree, you know, you look at the way that, you know, where that comes from, um, you know, go back to his dad, Mike, and, you know, even like Gary Kubiak. They like those big bodied kids that can get out in the perimeter a little bit, the boot action. Um, you know, they're going to make things well defined for you from a read standpoint. That's what uh, makes Sean McVay and Jared Goff so successful. Uh, they're going to try and make things well defined for you as a quarterback, you know, a big armed kid that can cut it loose. Uh, you know, and be obviously be athletic enough to make plays on the run. 
that, that that's the kind of quarterback that that fits really well. And to me, watching Drew Locke, one of the things I wrote about him was would fit great in a Kyle Shanahan type offense. To me, the the marriage makes a lot of sense there. So if John Elway really likes Drew Locke, he would make a, he would make a lot of sense for for that Denver Broncos offense. Um, so I, I was John Elway does like Drew Locke. That's uh, don't worry about that. All right. So two more questions here. Uh, this one involving the Niners, uh, Tony at GSI. Uh, GGS NFL, G-SIGS NFL, if Bosa's there, okay, odds are very unlikely the Niners would accept a trade back. Would that be correct? So basically if Murray goes goes one, is Bosa going two? You never know. I, I mean, here's the problem with the Niners, and I've said this multiple times. You know, they've gone defensive line three of the past four drafts, and two of those times, they were what? Top 10 picks. And you keep doing that, you're going to put your team in salary cap hell. The Jets did that for a while, and what did they end up with? I still think, you know, you know, everyone says Boza, 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 but there are a lot of good pass rushers in this draft. So I think if somebody put the right package, I had been told all you know, I had been led to believe all along, and we reported this, that the Niners pick was in play for either between the Jacksonville Jaguars and New York Giants to move up and get Dwayne Haskins. Hmm. Now, if Jacksonville signs Nick Foles, obviously that's very unlikely to happen. Um, but I still think that there's a chance the Niners would trade down if the right package of picks was placed in front of them because they can get a good pass rusher. And you know, I you know, people, this is going to shock people. I I, I now uh, talked about this the other night on that other podcast. I, I I'm on. I forgot. I don't want to. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you you only pipped it out like. <laughs> The, times, like, the, the, the top edge rusher in this year's draft, for the most part, consider if you if you're taking a straw poll, is Josh Allen. Who do you think the second uh, rated edge rusher is in this year's draft? Uh, I would say Brian Burns, personally. But I think a lot of people, you know, there's going to be a lot of discussion. Is it, is it Cleveland Farrell? Uh, is it Brian Burns? What about, what about Nick Boza? Is it Nick Boza? Oh, right. oh wait. Wait, you said his number one, the number one pass rusher was who? Well, edge rusher is Josh Allen. That's but, what people are saying. I would say the number one edge rusher is, is Nick Boza. Um, well, I, you know, I, I had seen this a while ago, and, and number one edge rusher is people consider Josh Allen the number one edge rusher in this year's draft. Doesn't mean he's the number one player. He's the number one edge rusher. That's the Okay, I would, I would disagree greatly. With oh, that. All right, but all right, uh, yeah, well, that's fine. I know, but I would I, just, that, yeah. I, and I'm saying, and that, that doesn't mean that they're always right. You well, know, of course. I mean, you know, you've had a couple. So you would tend to think that after Josh Allen, Nick Bosa would be the number two edge, sure. right? That would make sense. Yeah, Jakai Polite. Hmm. Okay, faster, more explosive off the edge. My point being is that if they are hell bent on getting an edge rusher now. Doesn't mean that Jakai Polite's the better player, just that he's the better edge rusher. Nick Bose is the better overall player. Okay. Okay? And that's why I hate, and I said this uh, when I was doing a podcast, believe it or not, with the, uh, a webcast with the New York Giants. You know, I hate this classification of edge rusher. You know, it's a defensive end because you got to you have to rush the passer. You also have to defend the run. You also have to, you know, maybe occupy blocks or set the edge or things like that. Right. And Boza is better overall in that in that whole set of skills, not only compared to Collette, but Josh Allen, head and shoulders. But, you know, people are now want the best edge rusher. And from what I've been told, 
it was, and it, we had this chart the other night, it was uh, Josh Allen one, Ja'Kai Polite two, uh, and then Boza. Well, speaking of Ja'Kai Polite, haven't talked a lot about him on the podcast today. Our last question comes from at Checkman89. Uh, Ja'Kai Polite, you have some insight apparently totally into his workout today, but uh, the question here is, thoughts on Polite's comments about the team's bashing him in interviews have you heard any maturity questions about him i will say that i was in Frank, were you in on polite so you weren't in i was in uh when polite was being asked about what have the formal interviews been like and basically he was just like that it, they've been very negative they bring up his bad plays and go through those i mean to me teams are trying to get you off your game to see how you're gonna handle adversity handle pressure and just because they're bringing up all your bad plays, I mean, you've got to you've got to atone for them. You've got to explain why you did certain things. I mean, we can sit and look at your highlights and why. I'm sure teams are probably, and this goes to your what you just said, Tony. If teams are apparently saying he's the number two edge rusher, okay, there's plenty of good film. What is it that that you know that he's slacking on? So what what have you heard about the maturity aspect and why he didn't do a big workout today? Okay, my head's spinning, but okay. Uh, I heard that he hurt his, strained his hamstring in the first 40, and that was it. That's okay. why he was done. As far as the interviews, I'm told that maybe he was just unprepared. Uh, you know, somebody said to me that they were screaming at him like he was in boot camp for the Marines, and it, he didn't take well to it. You know, I, I guess maybe he was unprepared. Maybe he didn't, you know, he... he he figured it was a job interview and, you know, people don't usually scream at you at job interviews, but this is a job interview where they're going to give you millions of dollars. Much of it's guaranteed. And they're going to want to ask you questions that make you uncomfortable and see how you react to it. I thought it was fascinating. Like, I mean, he, like he singled out teams. Like he was like, Oh yeah. Like San Francisco screamed at me, you know, green Bay did this. Like it was, I've never seen it. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. That's not going to go over well. That's not going to go over well. All right. So that's going to do it for this marathon edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. Again, it, it's snowing on the East Coast. You know, I think my, my wife just texted. There's a two-hour delay for the kids for school tomorrow. You're going to have some extra time. So take advantage and make sure to consume this entire listening experience again fran and i we will re we will not have a podcast on monday okay we're flying back to philadelphia we will be back with an all-encompassing episode on tuesday to go over the entire 2019 nfl scouting combine again follow tony's work draftanalyst.com at tony pauline on twitter for fran duffy i'm chris mcpherson you've been listening to the journey to the draft podcast have a great sunday night everyone